Welcome to a new episode of Vertical Playpen, the podcast all about adventure and experiential education. It's me, Phil. And in this episode, I was interviewing Michael and Kyle, who I was introduced to on Clubhouse. Now, what is fascinating about this conversation, which we're going to go into detail on, is they have been running social rooms in Clubhouse that are facilitating activities in an audio-only space. So I hope you enjoy this, and I hope you're able to take some stuff from it that you can apply even outside of the audio-only environment. Thank you for both of you uh, joining us. This is uh, really awesome that you were both willing to be able to jump on this. I do want to make sure before we dive too further, Mikhail, how do you pronounce your name? How do I say it correctly? So in Hebrew, you say Michael. It's like uh, Mi-ha-el. And uh, because Ha is just not being said in the English language, I, I don't want to challenge anyone. And uh, Michael is fine as well. Mikael, is fi- everything is fine, to be honest. I, I appreciate your willingness for everything to be fine. And I want to respect as much as I can uh, to get your name accurate. So we can yeah. practice the ha. ha yeah, that, that is, is the hard part. part. It's the hard part. Yeah. Can you try, Kyle? Uh, Michael. Yeah, so Kyle, he's saying the ha correctly, but what he's doing, <laughs> what he's actually doing, he's putting a little bit too emphasis on the ha. You see? Michael. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to really clear the throat. Michael Ronen means actually in Hebrew, Michael is who is like God. or who, And Ronen comes from German Freulich, which is happy or funny. So it's basically who is as funny as God or who is uh, happy as God, which in both ways it's... Uh, it's quite a big responsibility. For huge, them. huge responsibility. I actually, there's a there's an activity I play frequently uh, called the story of your name, which I find a wonderful activity yes. or discussion because it's very rare to go up to someone and introduce the meaning behind your name. I often challenge people, participants I work with, to continue, to see if they can do that in the real world. Go up to someone and say, hey, my name is Phil. Do you want to know why? As an initial start, because it's something that... Very, very few people share. But uh, I looked up the etymology of Phil, and it's lover of horses. So not as good as funny as God, I I would put out there. Lover Can of horses. Did you say what exactly? Did you say uh, what of horses? Lover. I, I think it's lover or, f- or the friend of. I, I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, at least most of the Israelis I know, I'm, I'm born and raised in Israel, are very interested in names. It's almost like yeah. for, na- for them, names is like an idea a person carries. So from what you're saying, who is the brown friend of the horse? <laughs> <laughs> Inter- interestingly enough, I live on a horse farm. That is the odd part. I'm not, I don't particularly enjoy horses. I have a little bit of a fear. But my wife loves them. So maybe there's something that something to that. Maybe I found so my wife, wife because she loves horses. Different. You know, we're we're only a few minutes into conversing, and I feel like we've really <laughs> dived into the meat of the the topic here. But thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Just in terms of the for the listeners out there, the the connection between asking the two of you to join me was 
because I have been in several of your rooms on Clubhouse. So for people who aren't aware, Clubhouse is the audio-only um, social media platform. But you are both, uh, both host the Social Play Club. And I have jumped in some rooms, and what I found fascinating is whether you're aware of experiential education as a larger field or um, not, you what are you what you're doing is you're leading us through experiences, and you're doing it in an audio only setting. So I think my initial question is, how did you two connect, and how did you start immerse yourself into social play? A priest of luck. Her name is Maz Cohen, which means in Hebrew. Uh, a priest of luck, Mazal is luck, and Kohen is the priest. I've introduced uh, Kyle Kaminsky to who is as happy as God. And Kyle, we didn't talk about the meaning of your name yet. That's a great question. Uh, my Hebrew name is Gilshai. Uh, it means gift of joy. I'm not sure what Kyle, I've never surprisingly looked up the the meaning of my American name. Uh, but I do know that my Hebrew name is Gift of Joy, and I was named after a Gil and a Shai, uh, which were my dad's aunts. Uh, so, the, so the priest of luck introduced the uh, present of uh, uh, joy to who is <laughs> as happy as God, and the social play came to place. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Michael and I design, were designing some virtual Zoom experiences together, and then uh, we decided to sort of take on this new audio-only platform and see if we could bring the essence and ethos of what we do offline and via Zoom into this new medium and, and give people a similar type of experience. And I'm, so, I'm sorry I'm so playful, but actually we just, because of your game feel of what's in a name, mm. like uh, Romeo and Juliet, so we actually just discovered that a priest of luck introduced the gift of joy to as happy as God. We just realized it's in your podcast. Yeah, exactly. This is breaking news. I, I'm No doubt this will continue on and bear greater fruit for the both of you also. We'll go back to the clubhouse in a moment, but for the two of you, what do you do outside of this? I was, before the pandemic hit, designing uh, in real life experiences to help uh, adults reconnect with their inner child and find their most authentic self, whether it was going into corporations and team building situations or uh, having residencies with local non-for-profit institutions that have ticketed events like Descanso Gardens. Uh, in Los Angeles or building our own actual physical art installations and leading people through a guided experience that anyone in the public was welcome to join. So I was doing that and I have a theater background and uh, I am an actor. I recently shot a movie last year. Hopefully it's supposed to come out this year, but uh, yeah, so it was definitely in the play space. You need to understand certain philosophies of play as any kind of artist, but I really enjoy bringing experiences that facilitate uh, inner child work and play and empathy building in real life. So that was, that's my day to day and currently what Mikhail and my part of our day to day is right now. Um, and and me feel I grew up backstage because my parents are a theater director and an actress. My sister is a theater director. She's older than me in six years. Yeah, and she's a star in Europe doing a lot of political play. Uh, I'm married to a theater dramaturg, 
And my sister married to a theater actor and a film actor. I am in a tribe. So literally, I always interpreted a life from a play and immersion perspective. Uh, but I also grew up in Israel. Very unfortunate to be a hippie artist, uh, you know, in my high school, suddenly being uh, subscribed to the army in the compulsory army service during wartime. And it, it shifted my political conscience. Like it just, uh, you know, when I left, uh, I basically left Israel when I was 24. I was doing a lot of political, political theater as a way just to bring uh, people from the Middle East together. So for the idea for me was, really how do I achieve from the world I grew up in uh, the concept of shared narratives. And, you know, I studied theater in London and I did a lot of immersive and political theater in the UK, but uh, I felt somewhere a bit frustrated, like theater is a very, you know, bourgeois medium. And I went into tech. I literally started a startup of uh, trying to bring theater to the internet by creating virtual time capsule, basically a scarcity to media. Imagine this interview, you can only listen when you are uh, walking next to, a, I don't know, a synagogue in your town or meeting on a bridge and listening to music. So that's how I entered tech. And then I had VR startup doing uh, basically shared perspectives that people can capture from their phone. That uh, became quite successful. We won the South by Southwest in Austin and we got funding and became a big startup. And I, I somehow found myself very heavily in the tech world. And I realized that the people who create the mediums for tech don't have the same culture and human-centric design. So I thought, how can I consult and work with them and maybe help them have a better way to create companies that are more human-centric? So it brought me back into immersive design. Then I thought, how could I take all the spaces in immersive from immersive theater, escape rooms, uh, to uh, experience design and bring it into the space of the virtual. I kind of designed a gym for a social muscle. And uh, literally in that point, the pandemic came and I started working with core realities on their Zoom parties. And that's how I met Kyle. You've both came in through the the avenue of theater. You've come in through that into into this world of the the immersive design and creating experiences. Are either of you familiar with experiential education? I would say for me, one of the biggest interests to come here also today is to connect more with this industry. I'm uh, on a very big learning curve then generally in life. I, I had uh, the experience doing it, but because I have two kids, uh, I'm definitely not a professional from the industry and I'd love to connect with more people in the space. And that's why me and Kyle are creating some type of facilitators programs of our own method in and outside of Clubhouse for people in different industries. Yeah, uh, in terms, just to answer your question, initially, I'm aware of the space, but not you know well-versed outside of the modalities that I work in. Uh, but I'm always interested in expanding and learning more. And so Mikhail and I, what we're really passionate about on Clubhouse is how do we bring this deeper sense of inclusivity, uh, empathy building, and community 
across all different languages and cultures all over the world. Like we talk about play, but you know, it's mostly centered to what's happening in America. But what happens if we take the concepts of play and really cross international borders and bring that to as many people as possible and have play be the universal language that connects all of us. And so Mikhail and I, uh, are training different facilitators for our methods within side of Clubhouse so that we can continue to expand this movement of play and bring it to countries that have not had access to it on a regular basis inside of Clubhouse because it's mostly known for this audio-only conversation instead of activity-based medium. So what we're really passionate about is pushing forward this movement of play because we really think it can have a substantial impact on the world and bringing us all together in something that we, Mikhail has written about in Medium articles is this Tower of Babel where there used to be this one universal language that we all spoke and then we all became so disconnected. So how do we bring that back, that sense of unity uh, to everybody all over the world? So we are using that facilitator program to training program to bring our play method. And we're also bringing things that we've learned throughout our experiences offline and online to bring to companies and schooling districts and communities to provide that deeper sense of play to build uh, a deeper bond and sense of empathy and understanding of one another. And not only in an audible only social, you know, um, platform, but also in a learning platform and within a professional platform as well. In a way, I see a lot of what we do, education for adults in uh, Clubhouse. We always say, and we reset the room, this is a human laboratory. We work on empathy and we develop the art of conversation. And uh, many people come out of our room um, with experiences where they embodied, for example, their grandmother and and they understood her point of view. It's not psychodrama. We are not therapists. The other people in the room are sometimes complete strangers. So people have their container and we work a lot on consent and safety. But in the end, people go through different type of uh, transformations in this space. And it's interesting because it's also made me think of how we see play and how disruptive and transformative play could be in different industries. So we were invited just in the, I mean, can we talk about the university and the school publicly? Maybe don't say the... Okay, just like a prominent university in, in an area uh, of schools, uh, like pre-K schools. And the, the, the concept is a lot of what we do can create safety and empathy, even between uh, young people who are now meeting each other only virtually are always a subject of bullying. And, you know, this space is uh, of, of how we use technology is so bad right now that uh, the pandemic made things worse also in terms of mental challenges for young people because the way they communicated off school virtually was not good. Uh, that's, by the way, why Clubhouse felt so... Uh, incredible for so many people coming from Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, where they say literally in, in Twitter, that would have been like a shaming conversation and an argument. And here we talk with each other. So this combination of play and audio only have created a real space of uh, safety that when we do now also workshops, uh, uh, for example, with the Burning Man organization, we did only audio in Zoom. Because there is such a space just to listen to each other. And so last thing about education in Denmark, there is a school. I don't know if you talk about it here. that does live action role play LARPing as part of the education program. 
you want to talk about the economic crisis, they say, okay, this week we'll play the stock market. You'll be the brokers. You'll be the press. You'll be the... And each one of the students is getting enrolled and they have a whole week to prepare for this LARP and they play. And this type of, uh, you know, the LARP is for me a huge inspiration of what we do in a social play club. That's why we bring more uh, LARP writers, very prominent LARP writers into our club now to work on a more extensive kind of uh, stage two of the social play, which is, okay, now we're going to spend some time together. I really believe that LARPing is the, you know, the Netflix of the future. So I feel like there's a, there's a hesitancy for the adult population to engage in play. Once they've ex- engaged in play, then they realize the the power and the potential of it. I sometimes teach people that instead of trying to be uh, childish, they need to be childlike. And I think the childish part is the part that sometimes there's that barrier because they see play as a childish pursuit rather than an opportunity to be childlike which we know is so powerful. What, what's your, what are the two of your thoughts on how to make play more accessible, to broaden its language to a larger population? I mean, play need to be reframed, um, definitely, uh, because as we explore it, we see that it's either childish or too sexual, right? For mm. play, there's all this space. There is in between. It's work, not play, right? Play mm-hmm. is uh, who plays. Um, you know, on the other hand, there is such a big growth on gaming and specifically during pandemic, there's been a huge growth of online gaming. So the way we play and how we call it and what it is in our life, there is an opportunity here. We're doing it a lot. We just need to reframe that. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think something that we've actually learned on Clubhouse is when we use the word play and even though the club is called social play, people are less likely to join initially until there is a large amount of people in the room. But when we use different words or different terminology that will just get people into the space, it creates a a deeper sense of safety and like, oh, okay, I feel more comfortable exploring this now that I'm learning about what you're about to do inside of your room, as opposed to coming on into the room thinking that I'm going to play. So I think it is important to find other types of words and uh, phrases that can get people excited to explore a concept. And then once they're sort of touching the surface of that concept, introduce the idea of play and why it is so important. Uh, so I would definitely agree with the reframing of how we introduce the concept of play to people. Talking of clubhouse. So I came in just, uh, from my experience, I came in and I saw that you were running a, a workshop or a, a room, the room was open. And I went in with some hesitancy because I think, wow, how are they going to do this audio only? And I was amazed at the immersive nature, how I was brought in. There was an activity um, that you were doing, which was essentially gibberish talk, where someone was said spoken English and then someone would respond by just rambling, and then back and forth. I laughed harder than I've laughed in a long time doing that activity. What have you learned through Clubhouse and the audio only that you think would be beneficial for other people, other facilitators to be aware of? And we learn so much and we're still learning and we're trying to document as many of those insights. Currently in a blog, uh, we've been publishing, you, you can see it on my uh, social link. But um, I would say just a few of the directions that um, 
um, we, we've seen it's um, interesting how you synchronize the room together, how you bring people to uh, pay attention. There's more people in the room. Um, it's interesting to see how you create a sharing tension in the space. People are connected on the same goal. There's different ways to do that. There's uh, then different ways to open up the, uh, this bridge between being a professional and rational to suddenly being silly and playful. I always say it's like the barrier uh, in uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, right? <laughs> that when you cross between being a person to a cartoon. And that's where the gibberish exercise comes into place. And when you are there in the gibberish, it's very hard. It's almost like you go back to this moment when you're a kid and you don't want to wake up in the morning. It's this moment of don't bring me back into this reality. And from there, you can open up to vulnerability and, and, and empathy, uh, which uh, there's various ways of uh, how we play with empathy. I mean, for me, the, the biggest learnings, because I'm so interested in digital intimacy, like as a theater person who's been now like almost 15 years in the internet, I, I feel that there, there is such a need for everything in this industry, from the people who create the companies, from the founders of Clubhouse, to the people who are the early adopters and setting up the tone to the culture in the space, to any new user that ever joins into the space. We never worked on culture because that was never part of you know, the Silicon Valley myth so much. It became later as a, always work with technology for innovation, but there was not... Uh, we kind of lost the why from the human-centric point of view. And when it comes to education, it's so interesting because who do we need to educate? I mean, today you can take a, a group of people from maybe a preschool and let them educate some of the big uh, CEOs of some of the biggest companies because uh, yeah, th th this is a big question of like how you create immersion through education. I love everything that you just said, Michael. Uh, I also think... What's fascinating on Clubhouse is generally for a lot of us people that work in the facilitation space, you have a closed container. And here on Clubhouse, anyone can come into your room at any time and want to participate. And Mikhail and I have uh, are inspired by Agusta Boal, who is this Brazilian theater visionary uh, who created very communal spaces to exchange ideas and perspectives. And we kind of view our Clubhouse room as a theater collective and a stage. And Mikhail and I are just the stage managers. We're not claiming to be any experts or trying to force any information on you. We're holding space for you and a structure for you and bringing you into our play environment and allowing that experience to manifest inside of everybody. We want everyone to feel welcome at all times to come on stage. And we say that quite frequently. So from a facilitator perspective, it's interesting if people are coming in at different points of your experience, how do you still create that connective tissue of one consciousness between everybody. And at times it can be a challenge, but it can also be beautiful if someone who's come in halfway feels just as deeply integrated into the experience as someone who started with you. And if you're able to facilitate in a space like Clubhouse, you will be able to facilitate anywhere else where you have a closed environment. Uh, so I think it, we've had a lot of learnings on how to integrate this sense of how do we socially prime people in a very quick amount of time to get comfortable in our space so that they don't feel like they're not accepted into the group mentality, even though they haven't been here for our entire experience. And I think that's really important. 
And the important thing is, I mean, this is based of experiences of going between so many mediums, but we're trying also to find ways. I mean, why do we do facilitate a program? Why do we uh, create other uh, to create that? Because play needs to be distributed. There's a limit of how many people we can reach uh, doing it, but we want to keep the experience intimate and uh, we want to allow uh, people to own spaces like that. So that's why we are, uh, you know, focusing on effort efforts to condense our learnings into some type of, uh, uh, you know, a uh, f- few weeks of uh, experience where you are going with us on those exercises and, uh, and the system and the format, and then you're able to meet others. And uh, uh, basically, uh, every time you do this experience, it's a bit like performing on stage, like an actor, where after the show you have, uh, it's like a mental training. It's, it's literally a gym for the social and mental muscle. There's something that you do I, I've, I want to credit you on, is uh, having people who are on stage, having people compliment people who are in the audience or mention their avatar and talk about that and say, call out someone or give someone a shout out. And it ties into a book called The Power of Moments by Chip and Dan Heath. I highly recommend it because I think that it applies to the work that you're doing. And it's essentially a whole book detailing on the, the importance of creating powerful moments that solidify in people's memory of an experience. Before we wrap, what are examples of an activity that you find have been really enjoyable or you like to bring back every time? Like, what are you, what's so far your favorite activity you've liked to plan the audio space? Something that we love to do is the broken object support group. Uh, I think it's a really powerful tool on releasing our ego and getting to know everybody in the space from a perspective of something else. So, for instance, you would choose an item in your home that you've either kept, even though it's broken, or avoiding getting it fixed. And we learn about you through the perspective of that object. So perhaps it's, you know, this broken, <laughs> this broken phone that I have in the office here. You give it a name and you speak as if you were that thing, the, the broken phone. So I'd be like, hi, my name is, uh, maybe I give him a little personality. Maybe he's from the Bronx or something. Uh, I've been here for like 30 years. My name's Phil. And Kyle, you know, he just, he hasn't fixed me for, uh, for about two and a half years. So I just kind of sit here and observe him in his space. And then you have other people from the room starting to ask questions and you learn about who I am through the perspective of something that is not me. So I feel more comfortable being vulnerable and sharing a part about who I am because I'm embodying something that is not myself. And do you know how many objects got fixed because of this exercise? <laughs> because what happens is the moment that you have an outside view on yourself, you're starting to change things. And that's why I say that it's so relevant for education because there's nothing more than embodiment and, uh, you know, the open empathy. There's so many things here that help to learn better. You learn for the body, you learn for the experience. Um, and you also come for conclusion very quickly by yourself. So it's, it's really, we're always saying we're working on human technology in that space. And, uh, you know, in Clubhouse, I have a space for immersive design where I brought the immersive design community to just talk with each other because so many people come from different spaces where they're, uh, not sure yet what experience design means, but for space travel, for education, for health, can you see this exchange? So that's also why Clubhouse is so necessary. Hopefully also the Clubhouse team understand the value of the community inside the business itself so it doesn't become another commodity like in other uh, social uh, networks. 
but we have we have a voice here at least as a community so we can come together it's a lot about togetherness uh, clubhouse how to how to achieve it i think for play we can accelerate it so for anyone listening if you want to uh, join in this movement of play join the brown friend of the horse the person who is as happy as god and the gift of joy in in our journey with play we we welcome you to join us awesome well thanks to the both of you i'm gonna let you go and enjoy the rest of your day and uh, yeah stay connected sounds great thank you so much i'm so happy we came so there you have it a great conversation with the two of them I think that something that I took away from this conversation, which I think will be helpful to all facilitators, is this notion of how do we create a community space that feels inviting and feels connected, even when people are coming in at different times. Now, this might not happen to you on a very regular basis, but there are times where a participant may not want to engage in a specific activity, and then you have to try to re-engage them later. So I like this concept of doing the shout outs that were occurring throughout the audio experience that re-engaged certain individuals into their activities. And you may do stuff like this already, and you may do reframing activities that get the energy back in the group and all these things. And also, I really liked the Broken Objects Support Club activity, and I will be using that in the future. Thanks, everyone. Stay safe. Stay connected. And then what about thanks for listening to High Fives Podcast? Can you do it? Okay, try. Thanks for giving. I think I found the guy.